What's up, everyone? Welcome back to 614 Headsets. We're your host, Dom, and say hello to everybody. What's up, everyone? Coach Sayers had a stressful day, but he's here. What's up, man? There we go. Long day today, but we're here. We made it. Episode 12. Episode 12. Double digits. All right. And then our tonight's guest of honor, Mr. Zach Zorison. Why don't you go and say hello to everybody? How we doing, everybody? Thanks for having me on. All right, man, we are, Tom Brady said it best, football is unconditional love, and we couldn't agree more. We eat, sleep, breathe, love this game. We're in full tilt right now with high school football. I was driving this morning, and it hit me. It's our last month without official football. Everything's gearing up to get started. This is it. We've made it through the drought. Things are getting busy. Team camps, our seven-on-seven is Friday, Ryan, and we're going to shoot a special episode of the podcast after that seven on seven too so we've got some good stuff with a familiar guest and a new guest so i'm excited donovan tell everybody what we're getting into today we got our classic pick six segment with zach zach we're going to ask you six random questions here coming up that you have no idea what's coming and then we're going to really dive into the other side of athletics the more mental health and the mental fortitude side of it and really just have a great conversation about that tonight really exciting something a little different for you guys that have been listening for a while but it's going to be a good episode And as we get rolling, don't forget that this show is sponsored by Fundraising University. Fundraising University Ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that helps football teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned, operated, and with their six-step blitz system will help your team maximize profits. As a current coach himself, Brent Maxwell with Fundraising University will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser that will allow you as a coach to focus on your practice time, prep time, player development, and most importantly, personal time, which is getting shorter and shorter. Fundraising Universal Ohio offers 60-minute donation platforms, digital and hard discount cards, and their popcorn sale, all right? And I think they have some other things, too. If you're interested in us running a fundraiser for you, please contact Brent at bmaxwell at fundraising, the letter u.net or 740-501-8946. It's never too late to get started. Everybody's back. You're rolling. Every Go ahead and get a fundraiser in the books, all right? Guys, let's get rolling. Coach Sayers, you want to do the honor, introduce our esteemed guest for this evening? I am excited for this one. This guy is a three-time All-American at Wichita State. He also was drafted in 1998 in the second round by the very own Cleveland Indians. I will never call them the Guardians. Agreed. Uh, it's always going to be the Indians. He made his debut in the MLB on June 3rd, 2003. Played in 12 games for the Los Angeles Anaheim, I don't know, what are they, Anaheim Angels, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever you want to say. And now it's super cool, though. I read a little article that you still had the chance to continue to play in the MLB, but you chose to become a mental performance coach, and now you've been with the Braves for four years. Yep, absolutely. Been with the Braves, and it's been it's been a riot, especially being with a team like the Braves that are they're making a run. They're winning won a championship a couple of years ago, and a World Series championship. It's been a great opportunity. That's awesome. That's awesome. We appreciate you coming on. And like I mentioned before, we got to start it off with our famous pick six segment. So it's more football geared, but 
We're going to give you six random questions. Some of them might be sports themed. Some of them might be just completely random. And a little rapid fire. Give us your gut reaction, hot take answer, and we'll start from there. Sound good? Love it. Here we go. All right. First question from me. What's the best Christmas movie of all time? It's a good one. Ooh, Christmas this one. This is Christmas one story popped into my head. Yeah, Christmas story right away popped into my head, right out of the gate. Mm. Always mm. got to watch it. This Even is one of those stuff. questions. Stop. Go ahead. Everyone has to answer this one. That's I one agree. The best Christmas movie of all time. I would probably say I, I, lately I've become a big fan of Four Christmases. I don't know if it's the best, but maybe it's turned into like my current one. The Christmas story is a classic. I got to watch a little bit of it when that marathon runs. I got to go with Elf, but like that because it's super funny. But if I think like classic Christmas movie, I remember watching the VCR tape. of I don't even remember what the title was, but it was that old school like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like animatronics one. You know what I'm talking about almost? Talking about the one with the Yeti and everything? Yes. That might be the best, like Christmas Pretty question movie. six for me. Not A is L for me for sure. That's my number one Christmas uh-huh. movie of all time. So sure. so I think I could repeat every word of that. <laughs> I'll all tell right. you what, a funny story, real quick. I was Elf one year for Halloween. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and and I'm walking down the neighborhoods with the kiddos. Everybody's, like, hey, buddy. Sure. Done. Yeah. Uncomfortable suit. All right. Second question for me. If you could attend or even play, since you, you played sports as well, if you could attend or, or play in any sporting event or game live again for the first time ever, what would you pick? So, like, you'd go back and go to go see a World Series for the first time again or your first debut in MLB, whatever it was, anything that comes to mind that you could play or watch again for the first time live. Yeah, again, for the first time, the first part of your question I thought was if I could just watch any event live, what would I pick? And I've never been to a Super Bowl, so I think that would be pretty special to go to a Super Bowl just because of what it's all about. But yeah, my my debut was a special day. In fact, everyone would call me after the game, man, you can't get that smile off your face. What's going on? You got to lock in and get focused. And I think I just had flashbacks of all the time and the effort and the whistles that were blown on the football fields that led me to being a better baseball player and all of that stuff and the people that impacted me along the way. So you got to go back to your debut and just soak it all in one, one more time. I love that. love that. That's great. Coach Sayers, give it to him. Here we go. So my first question is if you could switch lives with any one celebrity, who would it be and why? Oh boy. Any one celebrity, who would it be and why? Man, if I could go back in time, I think I'd love to to live in the shoes of Jackie Robinson for many reasons. First of all, what he did in breaking the color barrier in baseball, but everything I talk about with the players I get a chance to work with, whatever sport it may be, a big piece of this is overcoming your fears, overcoming adversity and embracing failure. And I can't think of anyone who's been just staring at that over and over again in their life and seeing him power through that was pretty powerful. That's a great answer. I love that answer. Next is, if you could remove one emotion from the world, which one would be? Kind of a serial killer question there. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, you can go any direction with this one. <laughs> Golly, I think fear. If I could remove any emotion, fear. Uh, yeah, let me go with fear. And I think the reason why is fear gets in the way of so many of us becoming who we can be and who we can become. I think if we could get fear out of where we're at, then then we can free ourselves up to just be. I love it. That's a great answer. 
Hey, fear keeps you from doing some dumb stuff, though. I'll tell you that much. So, see, I, I, so I'm a, I was thinking maybe jealousy. I like fear. I understand that. But yeah, I'm hey, with you. Fear keeps me from grabbing that snake that was in my garage the other day. I ain't grabbing that thing. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> all right. So you got to make mistakes, though, to grow, right? You get you have to. So maybe if you remove fear, then we could grow quicker. Let's go with that. How's that I like sound? it. All right. I had to go with MLB on this. All right. Okay. And so from your time in the MLB or just this anytime playing baseball, yeah. what was the most scenic stadium and what was the toughest stadium to play in? Yeah. Interesting. So someone asked me this the other day, similar question. What was your favorite stadium to, to play in? And one cool scenario, I played in the old Yankee stadium one, one year and it was pretty neat because that weekend it was old timers weekend. And so all of the guys from Reggie Jackson to Yogi Berra to anyone you can think of was at the stadium that day. And it's pretty cool as you go from our home club, sorry, visitor clubhouse over to the cages where you get loose and get warmed up. You pass the home clubhouse and they just have aligned on the walls, just these photographs of all the championships and this and that. It's a pretty special place to be there at the old Yankee Stadium. Overall, my favorite stadium to play in probably was Angel Stadium. Part of it was because I was with the Angels and it was a playoff year and they had the rally monkeys going to get them going. Recent stadium, again, I'm going to where I'm at, but the stadium in Atlanta is a pretty special place to be. Winning the World Series obviously took that to a whole new level, so... It's awesome. Toughest ballpark to be in. Golly, the one that's popping in my head is Detroit. Mm. They're just, when I was there playing in Detroit, it was pretty quiet, right? There weren't a whole lot of people in the stands right there. Just a little bit different scenario. Hard to get the juice going is what it Hard to get the like juice. Yeah. It was a big ballpark too. It was a big ballpark at the time. So I got to ask this next one and I'm going to explain why. This has been a question I've been searching for with guests in different regions of the United States. So Zach's joining us from Mountain Time, for those of you that turn in and listen to us. And seeing that you're in the mountains and seeing that you're a man that has traveled the U.S. a lot, I got to ask you, Zach, is Bigfoot real? Ooh, is Bigfoot real? I'll tell you what, a couple of years back, we went on a trip with our, our good buddies and we went up to Montana, to Kalispell. Amazing place to go if you guys need somewhere to get away to. And we actually were out there with our buddies and we saw Bigfoot surfing behind a ski boat, wake surfing. So I'm going to have to go with absolutely. He's really, we had a couple sightings that weekend. It may or may not have been my buddy in a Bigfoot costume, but we did see, we had a couple sightings. I'm standing by his real guys. I'm standing by his real guys. I had to ask. It's mountain time. I had to ask the guy from the mountains. We've asked down south. We've asked in mountain time. I'm going to keep asking until we figure this out. Figure it out. Let's get going. Man. I love that pick six. Let's get going into today's topics. Okay, Zach, and we're just going to turn it over to you. I think the first topic that you wanted to talk to us about was good, better, best. Start off maybe what you do for the Braves or what you do for others that maybe you coach. And then you can get us going in that first topic. Yeah, I love that. In fact, I'm actually going to see if you guys can adjust and adapt with me because that's a huge skill that we try to teach and require of everybody that we play with. And I'm going to flip the order on you a little bit. But to get started, yeah, I've been with the Atlanta Braves for four years now. It's been an awesome experience. When I got done playing ball, I went home and I became a full-time dad. And I say that because I traveled so much playing the game. And I knew I loved the game. I knew I loved sports. And I knew I'd get back into it in some capacity. 
And as I sat back, I honestly, I was given great advice by my general manager of the Cleveland Indians that I played for previously. And he says, listen to yourself, talk, and you're going to figure out what your passions are. And I remember going to do a camp a week later and I'm like, man, I love talking about defense. I love talking about holding the line and everything related to defense. And I'm like, wait a second. If you can't swing the bat, you're not going to make it to the big leagues. It's swinging the bat that I love. And I kept going through all of this and I, I just love the game, love sports in general. And then we shifted to the mental game. And I thought it was such an interesting space because I needed more of it as a player. Work ethic, especially for the guys at the elite level, work ethic is not a problem. And so anyone who's listening to this is not afraid to put in the work. But I needed more in the mental game. I struggled there. There were many times where I questioned, I doubted, I wonder if I was good enough and this and that. And so when I when that hit me that that's where it was going to be, I mean, I got excited because whenever I go and I, I talk to people, and I know football might be a little bit different. I know it is. My, my dad and my brother played football at the University of Utah. We're good players there. I played all the way through high school. So I know it's very similar. But in the game of baseball, I'll go around and I'll ask everybody. I'll do the same with you guys. Like what percentage of the game sport is mental? What number? What would you give me in that? With that question, what do you got? That's a tough question. Man, yeah. I look I looked at your I looked at your website, so I'm not gonna try to stick to those percentages. Okay. So I'll go with my personal opinion. And yeah. I think I, I might say a 70, 30, 80, 20. Okay. Is what I'll say for maybe the mental stuff. Okay. And so when you say 70, 30, 80, 20, what percentage is mental? What part of that 70, 30 or 80, 20? Man, I'm gonna say maybe 70 mental. I'll say 70 mental, 30 skill. Interesting. I would agree with you, Coach Stout, because even the even some of the physical aspects are mental, right? Like, Zach, I coach offensive line, and so a lot of that is body leverage and positioning. And, yeah, you can be a little smaller, you can be bigger, but, like, part of it is the mental aspect even of placing your body in the right place. So, yeah, maybe even 80%. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm 80, 20, 85, 15 for sure because – I feel like everything we do on the football field starts with the mental first. Okay, when you look at a signal to get lined up, you have to think what that signal is first. Everything starts with the mental piece first of what you do. And then you look, find, line up, see where you're going to get your block or see where those guys are. And then not even that, just like the physical part brings mental things to you as well. So I don't know. I would say like 85 No doubt. I think you guys are right on there. And we're talking about football where, or if you talk about golf or baseball, people may say that's, those are even more mental sports than football. The reality of it is maybe not right. Because I think a lot of the physical preparation takes place. We love that, right? You guys love that as coaches. Let's go out and get after it. We got grit. We got all that. Let's go get it done. And then the whistle blows and guess what? It shifts from the physical preparations done. And now it just becomes this mental grind. Okay. And how are we going to out, out grind, out, out mental perform the opponent. Here's what's interesting about it, though. My second question back to you guys is this. Okay, if it's 80%, which is what I heard right there, what percentage of the day do you or your athletes train the mental game? Not equivalent. No, not 80%. 90%. I do think we put time you, into it. You have to – what would training the mental game, what would that look like? What would you say that piece looks like to you? I think, right. think that's almost subjective of what you're trying to get done with their mental or like what you're working on. Because you know, we, we say for us, it's like mental toughness Monday. Right. So we go crazy on Mondays, like trying to work things that are taxing them mentally. 
totally. Then are there also times where you're talking to your players every day? Every time I see one of my guys, like, hey, how you doing today? How you feel? Like, we good today? There's different times you work on it without being, like, directive about it. But you're oh, just- Right. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's true. And I love what you guys are doing with this because we're starting to recognize in sport that – this is a big piece of every game. Like back when I was playing football or playing basketball or playing baseball in high school and even baseball in college, like the only mental performance skills and strategies we really knew was go harder, right? Mm -hmm. And hope, okay? So go harder, which we all know that. You all nodded your head at me. And then hope, it's like when I step in that batter's box, I hope I get a hit, right? And what I learned is hope is not the best strategy when it comes to swinging a bat or anything related to sport. And go harder isn't always the best either. There are times when that helps, but the higher up you get in the game, go harder is not the answer. So that's when I set out on a mission to figure out, okay, what can I do to help with this? Like how, back to your question, like how do I teach that? What are the skills and strategies that shows that if it's really 80% of the game, like we need to be coaching this. And so that's why this gets so fun and I get so passionate about it because again, I needed more as a player. So the very first thing I do, I teach the seven skills of mental performance mastery. And the very first one, we've heard it over and over again, is process over outcome, okay? What's interesting, though, is we've all heard that all the time. And then oftentimes I'll walk up to somebody and I'll say, okay, so process over outcome, that's the number one mental performance strategy. What is your process? And usually it gets quiet. What do you mean? No, what is your process? And we can even dive in that further and say, what is your process in the mental game? And that's where it turns into, what do you mean by that? And that's where, again, where I get excited about this. But after I I teach what the skill is, because I'm a firm believer that the skill set of mental performance mastery, in order to gain a skill set, you got to master a certain set of skills. And so I teach the seven skills. And in order to master a skill, you have to do drills. You guys do this all day long at practice, right? You want to master a skill? We go do drills and we master the drills. And once we get that done, man, we have the skill conquered. And Well, at least to a point where we're going to get better at it all the time. So drill number one under process over outcome is control what you can control. And this is such an interesting exercise for everybody because usually when people come to me, unfortunately, and I'm trying to shift this paradigm and shift this whole idea of it, but oftentimes people come to me to work with me when they're struggling, okay? And they're like, I need some help. And I'm trying to shift this. So yeah, of course, I'm going to be here if you need help in the mental game, but we're going to teach it ahead of time. We're going to be proactive with it. We're going to build strategies into your game so that before something hits you, you know exactly what to do about it. Because I'm a firm believer that you will... You don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training and preparation. And so let's prepare in the mental game. All right. So control what you can control. And the very first thing I do is I go up to a player and they say, what's bothering you? Let's make a list of all the things that are frustrating you, bothering you, that you're not, that you can't do, you're not good at. And we make this big laundry list, man. It's I'm not getting enough playing time. The colleges aren't calling me. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And we just list them out. And what's interesting is at the end of the day, that list is pretty strong. And then I go back to them and I I try to teach them this concept. And I think this is super powerful. When you focus on things that you cannot control, you become out of control. And those things end up controlling you. Okay, so I'll say it one more time. When you focus on things that you cannot control, you become out of control and those things end up controlling you. So for my players in the minor leagues with the Atlanta Braves, like the main thing they're thinking about is, am I going to make it to the big leagues? How about my batting average? How I'm struggling with my batting average? At the end of the day, you can't control whether or not a team calls you up to the big leagues. But if you focus on that's going to keep you up at night. And many of our athletes are going through this day in and day out. Okay, 
So we make this list of all the things that are bothering us. Then we categorize them and say, yes, I can control this or no, I cannot. And then to overpower that whole concept, we just really bear down on controlling what we can control. Okay. And we do all we can to master that. So for many of your young athletes right here, what are those things? Your attitude, your effort, your body language, your energy, whether or not you compete. Okay. We can control our sleep. We can control our nutrition and our diet. We can control the growth mindset and learning as much as we can. And we just dominate these things. And believe it or not, when we let go of the things we cannot, we focus on what we can. We actually build confidence because every single conversation I have about the mental game always turns to this confidence piece. And I'm sure it will tonight at some point as well. Coach, or coach, we've had so many coaches on here. Zach, I got a sidebar question. And it was actually one of the questions I wrote down, but you said something that made me go back to this question. So you said you got a lot of people that will come that are struggling. They're struggling because of X, Y, Z, and it's just getting in their head. And it reminded me this question I had about motivation. And I think that plays big into the mental aspect of any game. And I think a lot of times with athletes, you see their motivation to get better in a sport or to do well in a sport is driven by something else. It's driven by how they grew up. They want to do better for their family. A tragedy happened. They lost someone. So they play for that person or they were always doubted. Right. And there's always something, but like you said, if you focus on that one thing, it's going to drain the life out of you. And so I wonder, I've heard this a lot from guys like Jocko and some of those Navy SEAL types where they say motivation only takes you so far. Discipline is where that line is drawn. And so I wonder, is that kind of where you start, you kind of help coach or teacher instill and say, Hey, there's a motivation to this, but there's discipline to focus on things you can't control and help. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. You're right on with that. In fact, coincidentally, the second drill that I teach underneath process over outcome is routines and habits of excellence. So I think when I go around and I talk to major league players or names that we would know, household names, and I get a chance to break it down with them, I'm like, what's the number one thing I need to be teaching my young athletes, my young players? And they say the importance of having routines. And when I dive into that a little bit more, I'm like, why? Tell me why. And I ask that question, why all the time? Like, why is that the number one thing you're throwing at me? The reality of it is when you bear down on a routine, basically what you're doing is you're creating personal victory every single day. Like you're creating wins in your day. So we're not waiting for confidence to happen. We're not waiting for success. So I ask people all the time, where does confidence come from? If I ask you guys that, what what would you throw at me? Where does confidence come from? Success. I think if you have success, you gain confidence. Like I always think it relate this to a sports team. And I've always said, I think the better your team starts, like with football, for example, if we can get off to a hot start, I think we have confidence and we have swagger and the kids are bought in and now they that motivation increases and we see that mentality change. And right. it's like you build momentum. Whereas if you don't have that early success, I think you see things become more of a struggle to, it's almost like you're climbing the mountain now for the season. Yeah. And I love you said that and you hit the nail on the head with where I'm going with that. Sorry to cut everybody else off here, but the answer I get is confidence comes from success. And football is slightly different because how many games you guys play in a high school season or a college season? Just guaranteed 10. 
10. Yeah. And so it's a little tricky because if you go out and lose game one, you're already, you're struggling. Where baseball, we play 162 games and let's go get them tomorrow. So it's a little bit different here, but let me ask you, like, is it? And here's what I mean by that. So the first year I was with the Atlanta Braves, I got a phone call from the big league club. COVID was going on. They opened up baseball. So they're playing in the bubble. You guys remember this, right? We all became baseball fans because it was either baseball or reruns, right? Of something else that we've already seen a hundred times. And so they, they called me, they had a player there that was 0-7 in the big leagues. All right. First round pick. They paid him a ton of money. Great player. Went to a big time college, you know, big time university. And he's 0-7 in the big league. Success? Yes or no? No, not at all. And so they said, can you help him out? What's going on? He's really struggling with confidence. I'm like, why? He's 0-7. And so when I get him on the phone, where does confidence come from? Success. I'm like, what if you don't get it? If you don't get success, because I agree, does confidence come from success? Absolutely. But what if you don't get success? So then I say to him, okay, you're getting ready to go play the New York Mets this weekend. You're pitching against the Mets. They're leading the division, right? They're a great team. This was a couple years ago. And I said, you have no confidence. So how are you going to get success if you're not a confident player? And he said, if I get a victory, then I'll have confidence. I'm like, yeah, but you have to have confidence to get a victory. So which one comes first? And so this is where we shift the paradigm. We shift the focus. And instead of saying we're going to wait for confidence to happen because of success, we actually shift this. We say we're going to go out and do confidence. Confidence is something you do, not something you get. Confidence isn't a feeling. Confidence is an action. All right. And so going back to what we were discussing earlier, we're going to build in routines every single day that create confidence. And it's interesting. There's books written about this, right? Make your bed. You guys have all read that book and heard that. Make your bed. Why do you make your bed? Because you just created a victory first thing in the morning. And if the rest of your day is terrible, right? You don't catch any fish that day. And you're, you're walking home with bad body language because you struggled. When you get back to your room, you're going to look at the bed and say, at least I made my bed today. Check it. There's one victory today. All right. And yeah, I'm not just talking that, but we actually went to this player and we created routines of things that he could control every single day. Okay. Listening to podcasts, reading books, doing his mobility routines, nutrition, this and that. And we created this success checklist with him, things that he can control every single day. And we built confidence. We did confidence because confidence is something you do, not just something you get. He goes out there two starts later. He takes another loss, goes out there two starts later, faces the World Series champions from the year before against Max Scherzer, who was the best in the game, and he gets his first Major League victory. And his comment was confidence comes from preparation, but confidence is something you do, not just something you get. When you look at athletes that are, I don't know how old he was when you talked to him, but I assume if he was right out of college, he's still 22, 23, maybe he's still a kid by some standards, but there's the whole language of your brain doesn't stop developing until you're 25. And you look at it and you go, we, maybe not me as much, I'm the young pup on the show. To some extent, we can look at this and say, okay, we've lived a lot of life. We can build those routines a little more successfully because we have some experience. How, right. Is it any harder to do that with high school athletes because they're younger or is it like I, like I think back to little kids little kids need a routine of hey this is when you eat you no know, mom and dad will be back soon let's go walk around the pool let's go do this they need a routine to keep them calm and happy and confident that something else can happen or is it that basic even for high school kids of, you know, it's our default function to have a routine yeah, that's a cool question and there's so many things that parallel what you just talked about there's so many things like for example 
when we meet resistance as a person right now, like we talked about fear a little bit earlier, right? When we have fear in front of us, sometimes we back down. Now think about this when you were a young pup and you won't remember it, but you probably had it with your own kids. When your baby has decided that he or she wants to crawl to go get that ball that's sitting across the room, what does that look like? Like it is relentless effort with fear involved with the never ending, never quit until mission is accomplished, right? And it happened the battle day after day. We're not like that. We have forgotten how to compete. We've forgotten. And part of that is because of the routines. And part of that is because we believe that the only way we can be confident is through success. But if that ball's too far away and we can't crawl to go get it, we're just like, you know what? That's not my thing. We'll go do something else. Okay. So how do you overpower that? You build in routines. And you build in routines with high school kids? Absolutely. You want your high school kids to have more confidence in, individually? We build in routines. Some people have them do the positive affirmations. Some people have them do meditation. All of this is good. At the end of the day, what we're doing is we're putting in building blocks like Legos that create this built that create this great monument of who we want to be as a person. We build them in. And they're things that we can control, that we can execute on, and you can make happen day in and day out. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to lead to this confidence. So yeah, we forget about that in the middle gap. And then we kind of get back to it when we have no choice when we're older. But our young kids, when we have routines for our young kids, they sleep better. They perform better. They're happier. Same thing with our high school kids. Exact same thing. We just have to find a way to coach them because, yeah, we it, I take that upon ourselves as coaches. When I call myself a coach, and I'll talk about that in just a second here, but it's our job. They're not, they're just untrained, right? They're just untrained in the mental game. And that's where this gets fun because we get to train them and you're going to see huge growth in it. Why? Because they're not training the mental game now. So anytime that they get a little bit of training in the mental game, you're going to see growth and improvement. And at the end of the day, the reality of it is just, you're going to see confidence and happiness. Coach, I've listened to a few things, though, a few like high school podcasts that are like mental health ones. And I've also went to the Ohio State one. I think they had Brian Kane there, too. He was there and speaking. And I don't know. So a big question that a lot of like coaches have is when something bad happens, their yeah. kids don't know how to respond to it. Right. And um, one that's something that we struggle with, too, because I think that a lot of times though like what's the unique in high school is that we don't control their home lives like we don't control what they see on a day-to-day -day basis as in if something goes wrong at home how do mom and dad respond to that and so right. then we expect our kids to come to football and respond the way we want them to respond when they're presented with an adverse situation cool. uh, so for you as the mental health coach, how do you, how would you suggest to navigate that? Like, how would you tell coaches to navigate the area of you don't get to control the environment that they're around day to day? Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge piece. And you're right on, but that's where this gets fun. That's why we love to coach, right? Because we can impact individuals in such a positive way and change their outcome and change their lives. And that's why we do it. We love to coach. So Stay with me on this one. So let's talk about it. I had a coach that I worked with, the mental performance coach, and he called it the three keys to focus. All right. And it set up on it had poster board and it said, step number one is what is my immediate mission? So we all understand we need to all know what our role is. We need to know what the offensive guard and offensive tackle are going to do on that play. They need to know their assignment. So step number one is what is my immediate focus? Step number two is kill the noise. Right. We get that. You got to get rid of your distractions. And part of that's what you're talking about right there. When they come to play football, like it's time to put on the gear, you put on your Superman costume, you put on your helmet and let's go time. So they're a different person than they are at home. And I think that's an important thing for them to understand. Step number three, okay, it says execute the mission. And we get that. Yeah. So what is the mission? 
block out distractions and then execute the mission. Cause that's all I talk about is focus on execution, not on outcome, but on execution. And that's where this gets fun because we can control execution. We can't necessarily control the outcome. So with that, I turned to him and he's, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Right. He's like, that doesn't blow your mind. I'm like, he's like, what do you got? And I said, have you ever gone out there known what your mission is that you want to accomplish? You know what it is. You kill the noise. You do a good job of blocking out the distractions. We're good at that, especially football players. And then you get out there and you, you attempt to execute the mission and you don't. Yeah. Then what? So what happens right after you fail at an event? What's the very next thing that happens when you make a mistake? What do you guys think got? about it? Okay. You think about it and you think about it. You think on it, you dwell on it. You could be angry, frustrated. All, all, everybody responds a little bit different, but those are some common ones. Absolutely. Emotions. It's just an emotional thing. Yes. You have an, exactly. You, all you got, you have an emotional reaction. So you have the event and then you have an emotion. Okay. What happens if you, let's flip it around. You do something amazing, right? You got to pick six. What happens right after the event? An emotion emotional spike. Reaction. Yeah, emotional reaction. So we always go right from the event to the emotions. And the very best of the best, there's a gap in between the emotion, sorry, in between the event and the emotion. There's a gap. And they live in that gap. Now, I'm not saying they're not emotional in a good way or a bad way, but they live in that gap because in that gap has so many answers. What just happened? Why did it happen? And what is my next best move? Okay. And that's where I get my guys is to live in that gap and ask those questions. And I think a good way to sum that up is to stay curious. So as a coach, think about this. Our player goes out there. He makes a huge mistake. All right. Quarterback throws a ball. Maybe it was a bad route or maybe it was a great route, but he throws into double coverage, gets picked off. Right. Immediately he goes to the helmet. He puts his head down because why, why does he put his head down? Because they're programmed to let all of us know all the people that he cares about and that care about him know that he's disappointed. And that he knows that he let you down because they don't want to let us down. It's interesting. So they immediately go to this emotional reaction. But what they failed to do is to gather information and to stay curious. And so I tell people all the time, stay curious, stay curious, because every single time you struggle and we say this all the time, I know you, get, you guys do as well. When you make mistakes, that's great. Like we just learn from that mistake. Now, it might cost us a game. Absolutely. And that stings and that hurts. But we can't miss the opportunity to learn information. And then when you stay in the gap, you can learn information. Why were you successful? Lock it in so that you can do it again. Why did you make a mistake? Lock it in. So I always tell people, stay in the gap. In fact, last year with the Braves, that was our mantra for the year was in the gap. Okay. And so that gap is where we can keep our minds right. We don't lose ourselves emotionally and gather that information. I think one of the hardest things in the past couple of years is and I've, I wasn't coaching when it first started, but I was, it was my last year in football in college when COVID hit. And I think that we're going to see the effects of not anything specific to it, but of just all of the generalizations of you couldn't interact with people more, right? You didn't know what was going to happen. Your routine got interrupted. You didn't, your games got canceled. Your life was shifted in a way that has never happened to you or to anyone really that can relate to it. Maybe someone got mono and was quarantined for a month, but millions and millions of people going through the same experience. And so I think that disruption, I'd be curious to see how that affects this other, I don't even want to call it generation, but this segment of athletes going forward is trying to live in that gap, but they lost such a integral piece of trying to understand how to live in that gap, whether it's college or high school or elementary school, whatever it was. 
Yeah, 100%. When we're coaching that right now and we're talking this because that was real, right? We all lived through it and it's real for them, especially athletes that lost a year of, of competition, but even that lost a year of coaching. Really. And again, how do you handle that as a coach? We have to shift perspective. And that's what the mental game is all about is shifting perspective in my eyes. Okay. So I'll use a little David Goggins right here. And, and I know you guys are Goggins fans, but Goggins talks about how this generation is weak. And I don't necessarily agree with that statement, but he, after he says that, and everybody that I just lost by saying that, come back to me right now, because what he says next is amazing. He says, that's why it's so easy to be great nowadays is because everybody else is weak. So when you're coaching this right there, say, you know what? We all went through this and yeah, it was no fun, but we have the option right now to shift our perspective. Yeah, everybody's routines got messed up over COVID where yours could have gotten better, right? Like you had more time to do the things you wanted to do. So it's all, again, it's all about perspective. And he says, you know what mental toughness is? According to David Goggins, it's doing things that nobody else wants to do. It's doing things that you don't want to do. All right, so think about that. If there's things out there that you don't want to get done, yeah, Go get them done. Go make them happen. Coach, I got a question. Maybe it, I think it fits in because we're talking about perspective and emotions and yeah. your response and things. But let's talk about social media. Like all of us grew up and didn't have social media. And so when you think of bullying and you think of different things, it's very hard to escape the comments and the reactions of other people. And around here, a lot of our athletes play on a very large stage. How do you help or what advice or what do you do for athletes with the pressure of social media and performance on the field? The parents, the fans, the kids from other schools. How do you get kids to navigate that tricky situation in today's generation? Yeah, extremely tricky situation. And I think all of us as parents, I've got four kiddos, 20. And my youngest just turned 16. I think the way we tried to handle it was, hey, just get off social media. Stay away from it. You don't want to read that stuff. And the reality of it is that's not going to happen. Right. We're not going to ignore gonna them. Oh, ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah. You're still going to see it. Your buddy's <laughs> going to send it to you. Curiosity's going to kill the cat. Check this out. Yeah. Check this yeah. out. And how many times does that happen in an hour? Like a ton. Right. So <laughs> we're not going to win the battle of just ignore it or get away from it. So we have to shift again. It's all about shifting our perspective. And this is really interesting. This takes a very elevated mindset, but that's what we're chasing, right? We're chasing an elevated mindset. I'm a firm believer that there's a little bit of truth in everything that's out there. That's scary. That's tricky. OK, but again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier and I'm going to try to get my athletes to stay curious. Now, if someone doesn't want to read what's out there, great, then they don't need to. But if you have someone and most of them are like this, that are going to be reading everything, what happens? They read what they see on social media and then they have the emotional reaction. Right. And so it goes back to what we were just talking about. Like you can gather a ton of information right there. And let me tell a quick story about that. This isn't the same, but we could consider it very similar. When I was playing in double A, I might have even been an A ball just prior to double A. I was really struggling. I wasn't doing well. And we didn't have social media back then. But one thing we did have was a scouting report. And I know we all work with scouting reports, right? So everybody has this report on me. And my own organization had a report on me. And so I went up to my manager and I'm like, hey, can you let me see my scouting report? Can you give me a copy of my scouting report? So this would be like a whole just profile of all the comments that people made about me as a player. Okay. Imagine this very similar. And he's man, I just don't think that, that you want to see that. I'm like, how come? And he's like, because everything in there is really honest. And I'm like, perfect. He's like, why do you say perfect? Anyway, the next day he gives me my scatter report. It's like five or six pages, just double, not single spaced of all these things I've, I struggle with. And two days later, he came up to me, he's like, you doing okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? And he's like, because man, that had to hurt all of those things we just threw at you. 
And I'm like, they don't hurt as long as you were truthful with me and you were honest with me. And he's like, why do you say that? And I'm like, you just gave me all the answers that I need to get me to the big leagues. Like, all I have to do is focus on these 50, 60 things. And if I can get better at these things right here, like I'm going to play in the big leagues. And so you can see here how we can shift the perspective. Now, it does take an elite perspective. It takes an elite mindset to be able to do this. But there can be some answers in there. The biggest thing that we struggle with, especially with social media, is we compare, right? We are comparing ourselves to other people. And so as coaches and parents, we got to get everybody out of comparing into compete, okay? So how do you get out of comparing into compete? If you're comparing yourself to somebody on social media that is better than you at your position, okay, instead of avoiding it, because they're not going to avoid it. So instead of coaching avoidance, let's say, hey, study that player, study that person. Why are they better than you? What do they do that's better than you that you can learn from? And then we'll go put the work in because the work is fun. Like we love to work it. Working hard isn't work. Working hard is having a mission, having a vision and a goal to get to the top. And now we have something to work on. So I think when you talk like this and you shift perspective and you do it with passion and these kids have buy-in, right? Let me say this real quick. I'm a firm believer that especially our players that look up to us as coaches, they will become what they put their emphasis on. And here, let me take it one step further. They will become what we as coaches put our emphasis on. Okay. So if you put your emphasis on overpowering adversity, on, on, on just staring and smacking failure right in the face, they're going to go for it. They'll do it because you're allowing them to go for it. You're allowing them to fail and you're allowing them to learn from their mistakes. Guess what? All of a sudden they're like, cool, mistakes are good and I can go for it. So I hope I answered your question the way you want, but we got to shift perspective on social media and actually use it as a catapult for us to learn as much as we can. So it goes back to stay curious. I like it. For me, last season, last season, my off season book was extreme ownership. And being in a different leadership perspective for the first time in a while, that extreme ownership of just owning everything and not accepting excuses from when I was a younger coach, it was, we don't have the athletes. We're not good enough here. And just trying to shift like what you said, my perspective on we got who we got and you got to own it and you just got to try to attack it and get better at that. And it's funny that you mentioned your sky report the first year. When I was done playing college football, I went and coached a season as like a graduate assistant. And I sat in on some of those team meetings. I started hearing all the talk and how they talk about players. And then the first thing I thought of is, what did they say about me? <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Like, I can only imagine. So it, it just really it, it made me smile and laugh a little bit. And uh, go ahead, coach. I was going to say what's interesting about that is immediately you had some of that fear and some of those emotions kick in, right? But let's go back four years. What if you would have heard the report about you four years earlier? It would have been better. Yeah, absolutely. And you had an elite mindset. Like you would have been like, oh, okay, they think I'm too slow. Bam, jump rope. Let's go dominate the jump rope. And I'm going to go run 10 extra 40s every single day. Done. Check. I think relationships and honesty are huge. I, I have a perspective of two offensive line coaches in college. One would say, hey, how you doing? And he'd be past you before you can answer. You know what I mean? And I look back and it was just dangling the carrot. It was what you wanted to hear. Never really built a relationship well. And then flip that, my next offensive line coach I had in college, the complete opposite. He knew everything about everybody. He was 100% honest with you. You didn't. You always knew where you stood. You always knew where you are at performance-wise. And that is how I've always tried to be as a coach then too. 
is always be honest with players. We do player evaluations and we sit down and we talk about where you're at and why you're there and what you have to get better at. And we try to say that nothing's ever personal. At the end of the day, we love you. We're here to help you have the best experience you can. We're also here to win games, but also at the same point in time, like nothing is personal that we're all just pursuing, like what you said, excellence. And so that's, that's the mindset we say. And yeah. so we've, stu- we've been a lot on this routine. So I think we could say we have a lot of coaches that listen. Yeah. Other than routine, what are some actionable things coaches can do for their athletes? And I know sometimes this is twofold. This is things you can do for yourself too. Like coaches, it's hard for coaches to escape the fans and social media and things sometimes. So as we hone in just to try to make better athletes, what are some things that other than the routine you would suggest to do? Yeah, I love that. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rattle off a lot of the strategies that I throw at my guys. And I know we're just breezing through them. If any of them jump out at you, we can always go back to them. And I would love to talk about this concept of good, better, best, because that hits people pretty hard as well. Okay. So keep me on task as I start talking here. But uh, real quick, before we dive into that, you said something that really hit me hard and something that I'm super, I, I believe in this big time. I believe in it big time. And there's three things that our athletes need from us as coaches. And I think you could say this is as coaches. I think our kids need this from us as parents and you're hitting on it. But in the back of my, I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It's called the hard 90. Okay. How to prepare, compete and progress in the mental game. And I have a podcast that goes with it with a daily message for everybody. It's the hard 90 podcast with Zach Sorensen. But in the back of my book, I had a little extra section and it's based on leadership and I don't hit it really hard, but I wanted to make sure I shared this with everybody. There's three things that our players need from us. They need to know that we care about them. They need to know that they can trust us and they need to know that we're going to make them better. And when we establish that with our players, they will do anything and everything for the team and for us. Okay. And so I think it's super, super powerful. So as you keep that in your mind, some of the strategies that I use, some of the action items that we can do with them is I actually, just to finish up habits, I have my players actually work through an app called Habit Share, and we track our habits. With that comes accountability. Okay. Accountability partners are huge. I'm an accountability partner for all my players and we track our habits every single day. The next skill that I teach is honest self-evaluation. There's three phases to the mental game, the prepare phase, the compete phase, and the progress phase. The prepare phase takes place before the game. And so before a game, I have my players do what I call a start, stop, continue. What's one thing you want to start doing? One thing you want to stop doing? One thing you want to continue doing? It just keeps them in alignment, okay, with their vision and with their goals and also the team vision and the team goals. In the middle of a game, I have them work through what I call a controlled intensity scale. And we figure out where the perfect number is that is the perfect amount of control and intensity out there on the playing field. And then during a game, we can adjust that based on that. The power, though, comes in after a game. And that's where you can, I call it the progress phase. We do what we call a well, better how. All of my athletes do it. I have a journal that I've created for my athletes. I put it, I actually put it on Amazon for everybody because we were getting so much traction with this. What every single night, what did you do? What do you want to do better? And how are you going to do it? All right. So we actually plan tomorrow tonight and it's based on something that we either did well or something we struggled with. And here's what's cool about this failure that just cat, it, it freezes us all. When we fail, we're done. Okay. But this shifts the whole perspective. And because you struggled with something today, all right, and you build in a plan to attack it tomorrow, 
you actually gain confidence because of something you struggled with. So the well, better, how I think is probably one of the first things I would do with everybody. It gives you perspective. It allows you to struggle. It also makes you recognize the things that you do well. Okay. The next skill I teach is emotional control. And man, it would take all night to talk about it, but I talk about signal lights. And when you're driving a car, you're in green, yellow, or red. You guys have heard this before, right? But when you're in yellow, you slow down or speed up. Same thing happens out there on the football field. When you start getting emotional, you either slow down or you speed up because you're unsure. When you're in red, like you're emotionally hijacked, your brain's not there. You're not in the moment. So we teach our players how to get back to green from yellow and red. All right. Next thing, this never ending eagerness to get better. It's the growth mindset. We talk about it all the time, but that's where the podcasts come and play. That's where we spend a little bit of time every single day focusing on things that you want to do to get a little bit better. I, I created the podcast for everybody. I try to make them four minutes and 24 seconds so that you, if you invested 10 more minutes, that gets you to 1% of a day. You want to get 1% better every single day, invest 14 minutes and 24 seconds in whatever it is you want to get better at. And I can guarantee you're going to see growth in that. Okay. Overpowering adversity, embracing failure. That's where I talk about in the gap. I talk about slowing down that moment and living there. And then mastering mental imagery. I'm a big believer in mental imagery. And I actually have training tracks, audio tracks that my players go through and see themselves. I'm a firm believer that you don't want the first time to be the first time. Okay. Jerry Rice, every single play in practice, when he was throwing the ball, every single play in his career, when they threw him the ball, he ended up in the end zone because he wanted to see himself end up in the end zone and believe that he could do it every single time. These are powerful things. You guys can't practice. I know you would love to do two and three days all the time, right? As, as football coaches, you can't do that. Physically, you can't do that. But you can go lay in your bed and visualize anything you want. The brain does not know the difference between what you see yourself do and what you really do. It's all the same. So visualize yourself doing it, and your brain is going to think you're doing it. It's powerful. And then the last thing I talk about is self-talk powerful thing okay can you control what you think yes or no what do you guys think yes and no you know what i mean if you say if you tell yourself if i say right now don't think of a red car don't think of a red car i'm Damn. automatically thinking of a red car even though i'm telling myself don't do it don't do it don't do it interesting yeah i, I don't think you can control what you think but i think Act. what we've talked about is the skill of the response and being in the gap and I think as maybe you become better in this skill or this mental fortitude, yeah. the shorter that emotion is, the quicker you're able to press pause and respond and do something different. Because you're training your mind. Because you're training it. I think you could – yeah, you could change the way you think, but you can't change what you originally think. If I walk past a rapper like on the side of Northland High School or a bottle or something, yeah. I might walk by it and then, like, I stop for a second. I'm like, hold up, pick that up. You need to stop and do that. You know what I mean? I think about, oh, don't just walk by something. Make it, make this place better. You know what I mean? Don't just, if you see something wrong with it, grab it. Yep, you're right on. You're right on. There's 40 to 50 thoughts that run through your mind every single minute. That's a ton. This last minute, the last 60 seconds, you had 40 thoughts run through your head. Okay. And so I've asked people over and over again, what percentage of your thoughts are positive versus negative? Do you have more positive thoughts or negative thoughts? What do you guys think? Positive. In my mind. I think it depends on your day. Yeah. I think you have days where it's all great and you're crushing it. Yeah. And then I think you have some days where you maybe can sometimes get stuck in a negative mindset or you feel yourself feeling a different type of way. Yeah. hundred percent. Now this is interesting, especially for us as coaches and parents. Okay. There was a study done to determine if there were more positive thoughts and negative, and the answer is negative, okay? 
And then they did, they figured out a percentage, which is awesome. And the percentage that they came up with is 74% negative thoughts on average mm -hmm. in our minds. Unbelievable. So think about this. When you show up to practice, that athlete that's there at practice on average has 74% of his thoughts are negative or her thoughts are negative. And that's before anything bad happened. So sometimes when we go out there and we have this high expectations for what things are going to be like, man, perspective right there just opened up my eyes. And so my goal is to bring 74% down to 50. So that athlete you're working with only thinks that he or she is no good half of the time. Crazy. So how do you do that? And then I asked that question, can you control what you think? And I don't know the answer to that because you had 40 to 50 thoughts that run through your mind every single minute, right? You can probably control the first couple by training, but then you're always going to go back to what you believe, just like you said. So let me ask one more question. Can you control what you say? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. And so one of the greatest ways to overpower what you're thinking. I'm married. So absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. There it is. Yep. Um, but one of the greatest ways to get your athletes to overpower their negative thoughts, I don't know if I can, I'm not good enough to be able to, is to get them to talk out loud. Okay. When they're at the line, okay, getting ready to run that route and they got that guy right in their face that's steaming and snot coming out of his nose, right? Instead of thinking, man, this guy owns me. He has all game. If we can get them to talk to themselves, you can't talk about one thing and think about something else. You can't do it. So you watch a lot of my athletes out there on the mound or whatever they're doing, they're talking to themselves. And it just is a great way to overpower it. So just want to throw a couple strategies out. Yeah, I know some of those probably got your mind going a little bit, but yeah, what do you got? I had it. This is something I've noticed that lately recruitment, we're in a position where we have a lot of student athletes who get an opportunity to go play at the next level. But I've seen this recruitment process really start to influence and change students' emotions, behaviors, reactions, you name it, right? Routines even. What type of advice can you give to an athlete who may be struggling with this recruitment process? And I try to put it in when I was younger, too. Yeah. You're trying to make a decision on, on, on where you want to go and what you want to do for what, what feels like the rest of your life, right? Like at that age, you don't think about, oh, I could change or it's never too late to try something else. You don't think that way. Right. So like, what, how can we help students formulate navigating these emotions that go with this recruitment process. Yeah, I love that. So I'm going to ask you guys, let's assume that you guys are college coaches or coaches in the NFL and you're going to recruit or look to draft somebody. Okay. What kind of player are you looking for? Yeah. Dependable. Yeah. Somebody who's dependable. Yeah. dependable. Like you said, like work ethic. Work ethic. Throw, keep throwing them. Tough. Gritty. Tough. Gritty. They got to have the skills. At the end of the day, you have to have yeah. skills. Yeah, skills. I mean, and, and also, you have to have the God-given stuff like big body, yeah. right? Move fast, yeah. or whatever your position is, right? Like, just say, I would just say the God-given stuff. Yeah. Be a good teammate. Stout's like what, like six four, six five, or whatever. <laughs> six, six, six. Love it. Some I of think... us can't be L for Halloween. Okay, all right, <laughs> my bad. He doesn't do leg day though. That's all. Legs will crush you in the squat rack, baby. I'm eating chains tomorrow morning at six a.m. I'll Get see you. Get it done. Here's what's interesting about what you said. If we go back and we go back to the first thing we talked about, that list of control what you can control, right? And I actually spoke to the Braves this year about this. And I said, this is not a talent game. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this is not a talent game because you can't really do anything about your talent. Like your talent is your talent. And we get so caught up in who's the most talented, but it's not a talent game at this point because we can't control that anymore. But we can control everything else around that. So you guys mentioned one thing, which is God-given talent. 
And then everything else that you mentioned are things that we can dominate and control within ourselves. Basically what we're looking for, I think, if I'm recruiting somebody, I want a winner. Okay. And all of those things that you talked about make up a winner in my mind. All right. Now here's what's interesting. And let's talk about this real quick. And I'm answering your question, just doing it a little bit roundabout way. The best team doesn't win, doesn't always win. It's the team that plays the best. All right. Have you guys ever been or, or watched a football game on TV or a Super Bowl where the best team didn't win? Fact. Yeah, that, that's Fact. true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But what's our focus as players to win? What's our focus as coaches to win? So I'm not the guy that's going to say, hey, don't worry about winning. I'm just going to shift perspective a little bit. We're not going out to try to win. We're going out to try to play winning football. Okay, because we can't control if we win because the best team doesn't win. It's the team that plays the best. Our goal is to go out there and play to win. And so what we need to do is define that as a staff, as a team. What does it look like to win? And let's dominate those things. Now, as a player looking to get recruited, all right, if you're worried about whether or not they're going to send you a letter, whether or not they're going to they're call you and say, hey, we want you to come play for our team, you can't control that. You can't control if you win. You can't control if you get a scholarship, but you can control to you can control doing the things that these coaches want in a player that they're going to give a scholarship to. And when you start focusing again on those scenarios and those situations, oftentimes things fall into place for you. Not always, but oftentimes they do. All right. And so I think we need to shift our focus from the end result back to what is it going to take to get the end result? That makes sense. I think one of the best, I've said this so many times, one of the best examples of what you just said is any of the three, but specifically Army football. I've said it like those guys that go there, obviously, are, are tough dudes. They're playing football, but they're preparing to serve our country. Like, they're doing all that. They're some of the toughest. Dudes. They are, I played, we played at Army when I was a junior. They're not the best football players. They're not very, some of them aren't very good football players, even their starters but they all do their job and their unique crazy system with such a high level of discipline and playing to win their job and win their assignment rather than playing. I've said this before, Army could be anybody in the country if that team did not play uh, play to Army's best because they run such a complex system. They're more disciplined. They're tougher. It's just they're not always the best team. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Let's play on that real quick if we can, if we have some time to do that. How do you beat if you are Army, how do you go out and beat a powerhouse? Give me a powerhouse. Who do you, who's Army playing this weekend? Who do we got? I don't know who Army's going to be. A powerhouse, Alabama. Alabama. Ohio State. Ohio State? Okay, let's do that. So you got Army, Ohio State. Okay, so who's the better team? Ohio State. So I'm actually going – a couple years ago I go out and I speak to a, a high school football team. They're in the state championship game. They shouldn't have been there. The team they played two weeks prior to that, the quarterback broke his ankle and the receiver got – chicken pox. I don't know, but they should not have been in the championship game. They asked me to come speak to them. So I walk in there and I got all the whole team sitting out there and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, what's the plan? They're like, win a state championship. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, are you the best team? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, no, you're not. Room went quiet. Coaches are like, why do we bring this guy here? And I'm like, listen, it's your parents' job to tell you you're the best and your coach's job to tell you that you can do it. And it's my job to be real with you. Are you the best team? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like, but the best team doesn't win. It's just the team that plays the best. And so it's not about whether you're the best team. It's not about whether you're the best player that's going to get recruited. It's about how do you do what we want to do? What's the plan? And they're like, our goal is to win a state championship. I said, that's everybody's goal. you got to be different than everybody. You have to be different. So how do you do it? And then I go up to the Army players and I say, hey, are you better than Ohio State? The answer is no. 
But can you be better than Ohio State on this one play? Just this one play, yes or no? The answer is yes, right? And I said, okay, then do that. Go be better than Ohio State on this one play. And then what do you do? The next play. And then the you play. be better than them on this down. And then this down. What happens if they beat you? They're going to beat you on some downs. So what? Next down. And your focus is relentless about taking care of your business and doing what it takes to win one down at a time. And if you can have that type of mental discipline out there with your teams, imagine where you guys are going to be at the end of the year. Here's what's tricky. I deliver this message to this team and they go out there. And honestly, like I, I'm not exaggerating. They weren't the fourth best team, right? They shouldn't have been in the game. And Pineview High, they've got, they've got after the first quarter, they're winning the game. At halftime, Pineview's up. At end of the third quarter, Pineview's winning. Okay, so they have this narrow focus. If I'm going to do what it takes for me to be successful on this down, they get into the fourth quarter. There's about four minutes left. And guess what happens? They started thinking to themselves, we're going to win a, nat- we're going to win a state championship. And their focus got big. And bam, they're down by six. Just like that. And it wasn't that the other team was like destined to, that has nothing to do with it. It's that their focus went from win this down to we're going to do big things. And it's the same thing with our players that want to go play college sports, right? Like their focus is on this big, massive thing. No, focus on right now being present and winning this moment. And if you can be disciplined to win moment after moment, man, you're going to play this game a long time. And I feel like that's how we've also tried to change like a lot of our conditioning to that too. Like we run maybe only 10 yard sprints now, four to six seconds is the max that we're running. As long as you can give me that every single rep, like you're hundred percent at that speed um, and training their brain for that. And that's obviously a mental thing as well. And and that's what we've changed our conditioning to too. And I think it's been great now. It's easier to go. Balls out for 20 yards sprints. That's it. Instead of doing a full gasser, you're getting way more out. I like it. Very good. Very good. Hey, good, better, best real quick. Okay. I heard somebody talk about this concept of good, better, best. You guys have heard it before. You believe in it. You're going to nod your head when I say it. When we have a player that's a good player, our job as a coach is to help them to be better. Better. And if they're better than they were, our job is to push them so that they can be what? Great. Yeah. Better. The best best the very best your whole life your focus is on being the what the best we all agree right we all agree that our focus is on being the best now we can adjust that and tweak it right because you guys know where i'm going with this but i'm a firm believer in that i've always been that way now here's what's interesting for me in my playing career i had this mission to be the best and my goal to be the best at all times and the higher up i got in the game what i realized is man i'm not as good as ken griffey jr I'm not as good as some of these Jeter, some of these guys that are out there playing. And so it was totally disappointing to me that my goal was to be the best and I wasn't because in my eyes, I failed. All right. Interesting. So now let me back up real quick. So I heard this conversation on good, better, best. I nodded my head for the whole hour that this gentleman talked about good, better, best. I went back and I was working with one of my professional teams and we had just got, we just had the draft, which is actually happening this upcoming week. Right. And so the top eight picks, high school kids that we drafted by the team, we gave them big signing bonuses, anywhere from a couple hundred thousand dollars to $7 million signing bonus. These these 19 year old kids, unbelievable. So we bring them in. I'm doing a one-on-one telling them what I do for the organization, the team, I'm their mental performance coach and help them in any way I can with their mind, their on-field performance. And then I say to them, congratulations on being the best. 
And as soon as I said the word best, guess what happened? They light they put, up. They put their head down. Oh. They put their eyes down. Every And it happened to the first pick, the second pick, the third pick, all the way through. Finally, I stopped and I'm like, what's going on? And I asked them, why do you drop your head when I tell you you're the best? Why do you think? They didn't believe it yet. They had a goal. Their confidence. They did not believe they were the best. I'm like, what do you mean you don't, you're not the best? We just gave you $7 million. <laughs> like, you're the best. No, we're not the best. There's guys in A-ball, double-A, triple-A. There's guys in the big leagues. There's other guys in this locker room that are better than I am. I'm like, yeah, but we just – I was just like do, doing all this stuff. You're the best. And then I turn around. I get them all in the room together because this just baffled me. And I say to them, what's your biggest fear about being a professional athlete? Think about that. What do you think the answer was? Because they all said the same thing. Failure. Failure. And even to be more specific, they said, my biggest fear is that I'm not going to be good enough. Hmm. Failure, right? And so I go home and, and man, I remember not sleeping for a couple nights. And I'm like, golly, man, these guys are the best. They don't think they are. Is that humility? What is that? But their biggest fear is they're not going to be good enough. What do you mean you're not going to be good enough? You're a first round draft pick. And it just, it just, I just held, I just was struggling with this. And then I went back to the very first thing I talked about tonight on this call. The very first drill that I teach, do you guys remember what it is? Very first drill. Control what you can control. So let me ask you this. Can you control if you're the best, yes or no? No. 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 You cannot. And if you remember what I said, and I said it twice, when you focus on things that you cannot control, you become out of control and those things control you. Has being the best controlled all three of you your whole life, yes or no? I'd yeah. say so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know it has for me. And because of that, sometimes you're actually out of control, right? And that might be in the weight room. It might be out on the football field. It might be in math class, whatever it might be. Like this has controlled you for a long time. Can you control if you're good enough? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. I got two answers. I'll say yeah. I'm sure. Tricky question. Here's yeah. why. Yeah. I felt the same way you guys did, but here's where, here's where this gets tricky. Whether or not you're good enough is based on the opinion of somebody else. Yeah. Before I got hired by the Atlanta Braves, I got turned down by the Detroit Tigers. I wasn't good enough for the Tigers, but I was for the Atlanta Braves. So depending on how you look at it, you could say that am I good enough is something that you cannot control, right? But when you focus on things you cannot control, you become out of control and those things control you. So these guys even that just got signed, they're, we just gave them millions of dollars signing bonuses and they're staying up at night because they're scared to death that they're not going to be the best and they're worried to death that they're not going to be good enough and make it to the big leagues. Keeping them up at night. First day on the job. First day as a professional athlete. And so I'm thinking about that. I'm like, okay, I'm teaching people control what you can control. Can you control if you're good enough? No. Can you control if you're the best? No. What's left? What's in the middle? Getting better. Better. And so I say to them, can you get a little bit better every single day? Yes or no? And everybody says what? Yeah, absolutely. I can get better every single day. And I'm like, that's our focus. That is our goal. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you had five losses last year in your high school season. We don't care. Our goal, our focus is to get a little bit better every single day. And you nodded your head and said, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And if you maintain that focus of getting better every single day, like we're going we're gonna to thrive. We're going to climb together because that belief system isn't based on the outcome. It's based on our process. And our coaches will build a process that's going to help you to become better every single day. So now that trust is established and we're going to take off together. It's powerful. 
powerful. So I took off. I left that camp and they were pretty fired up. I come back a week later and I'll, I'll wrap up the story with this. And I say, what do you guys think? Did you get better this week? Yes or no? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, how do you know you got better? And they're like, yeah, job. <laughs> yeah, nothing for a minute. And finally someone, we worked really hard this week. And I'm like, absolutely. Work ethic, man. If you don't have work ethic, you're not getting better. I agree. But how do you know you got better? Trust and that's where I implemented what I call the 1424. And I mentioned it earlier tonight, but is it worth it for you to invest 1% of your day into doing something that you want to get better at? Yes or no. And everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. I said, do you have any idea how much time 1% of your day is? It's 14 minutes and 24 seconds. And then I say to them, let's say you want to get better at doing pull-ups. Okay. Like you can bench press like crazy. You can't do pull-ups. If you invested 1% of your day every single day, so 14 minutes and 24 seconds into working on a pull-up in six months time, would you be better at doing pull-ups? Yes or no? Yes. Guaranteed? Ryan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I definitely do way more pull-ups than stout. <laughs> like it. Nice. But I think the answer is, yeah. And, and I say guaranteed. And everyone's like, yeah, I think so. I feel like you're going to be better at whatever you want to be better at. And so for me, at the end of every single practice, like I, I work with a couple of basketball teams, but at the end of every single practice, put 1424 up on the scoreboard and let all of your players work on something that they want to get better at. And guess what's happening? You're building confidence in our players and we're working on things that we really struggle with, right? We're building this concept that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have failure. It's okay to have weaknesses and we're going to crush them. We're going to attack them and we're going to bring up the floor. Okay. We talk a lot about ceiling. Let's talk about the floor. Let's bring up the floor. And it's all based on things that you can control. So our focus is on better. Our focus is on, and here's what's cool. When I fly out, I bounce around between the triple A team, double A team, A ball team. So I got five or six teams. When I show up, yeah, we give fist bumps and bro hugs, no doubt about it. But the first thing I say to them is what is your 1424? And if they can give me a 1424, I know that they're not only progressing with what they're doing, but they probably also their belief system and confidence is probably where it needs to be because our goal is to be a work in progress and to have that perspective that we are a work in progress. But let's take it one step further. Our goal is to work in progress. That's all we care about is progress, getting a little bit better every single day. I love that. I like it. I tell you what, I, you probably heard my paper shuffling. That's because I'm sitting over here taking notes. And I really appreciate you coming on, Zach. And I really love this well, better, and how. And I put a big star and I'm trying to decide if I want to pull that out tonight on our guys or make them do it at our team camp. And I like that 1424 idea. I've heard that before, but I really love the idea of, of putting it on the players. I think that's great in the routine and stuff. One of the things that really stuck out to me today was just hearing that even the most elite coaches, elite athletes, everybody still many times thinks they're not good enough or has failed or has those emotional reactions and just trying to give the perspective to kids that it's okay. And I talked with our kids this off season about success isn't linear and getting comfortable with failure. And I tried to show them a bunch of failures that some of the greatest successes have been multiple failures from all walks of life. And that really stuck out to me. And I appreciate that a lot. Quick, quick question. If somebody wanted to learn more, somebody wanted to hear you, I know you mentioned a podcast, tell them one more time how they could maybe learn more about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a daily podcast Monday through Friday. It's called The Hard 90 
podcast with Zach Sorensen. Why is it the hard 90? It's the 90% of the game that we do less than 10% of the time. Okay. So the hard 90 podcast with Zach Sorensen, it's, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify, and then we update those five days a week. So that's probably the best way to get a little bit a lot because sometimes we go out there and we do what we call a total immersion learning experience. I come out to your team and man, we spend the whole day together and I just pound you with all of this stuff that we talked about today, but with PowerPoints and slides and we get after it. And that's good. But my question I always had is how much of it do we retain? Okay. And so then we created what we called the delayed repetition. Okay. Where we want to give you a little bit, a lot. My vision is that when all of your athletes are driving to school each day, man, they got the hard 90 on. Okay. And they're getting just a little bit of information a lot of the time. Right now we're talking about self-talk. This whole week, we're talking about self-talk. We'll be talking about self-talk for the next couple of times. So if you struggle with self-talk, and I told you everybody does, 74% negative thoughts, you're going to get strategies all week about how you can manage that and help that. And the key isn't to hear this stuff. The key is to start having an action plan and putting it in place. But uh, but yeah, that's where it comes from. I do have a website. It's phenomsports.com, P-H-E-N-O-M, sports.com. Okay, my acronym for what I teach is based on the word phenom. Process over outcome, honest self-evaluation, emotional control, never-ending eagerness to get better, overpowering adversity, embracing failure, and then mastering your mental imagery and self-talk. So that's where some of my stuff is. But I think the podcast is probably the best way to do it. And if you want to reach out to me, you guys have my contact info. And I'm just, hopefully you can see I'm passionate about this. I needed more as a player. And I know that all of your players do as well. And not only did it help my players, but you guys brought this up already. When I started implementing these strategies into my life, I got better. Okay. I decided that confidence was a choice and something that I do, not something I get. I also realized that happiness is a choice. I've been waiting around for it for so long and it's a choice. Okay. And so you can get that. And if you're confused about what I mean by that's when you need to reach out to your coaches because you got a special group of coaches that are on here that are committed to the mental game and committed to helping you to get to where you want to get to. So my challenge is to reach out, to talk about it because it doesn't mean you're weak. It means that you have strength. Okay. To be vulnerable is power. I love it. I'm going to check it out and maybe mention to our guys because I, I know everything we talked about is things that I look at. You start here as a young kid and you're still growing. We're all still growing. So I just want to thank Fundraising University again for being a big sponsor of the show. And I thank you for coming on, Nick. And I hope other people learn something from this and it helps them have a better year, lifetime or season or whoever it is. Make sure everybody you follow us at 614 Headsets. We're on YouTube. We're on Apple, Spotify, you name it. Hit us up on Twitter and uh, pray for Ryan on Friday, everybody. (laughs) Thank you, Zach. We appreciate you. And Stout, I know he's going to be trying to cheat. He usually plays with eight players on seven on seven. (laughs) I watch him. Hey, Donnie, are you coming Friday? No, I will not. I'll be at Are you guys bringing O-Lyman? I don't. Yeah, are you? Yeah. Yeah, we're bringing O-Lyman. I figured Donnie would be there, but he always gets scared. No. Yeah, he's, no. Up. he's dodging you, man. All right. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Take it easy. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.